Okay, we are continuing then in the message of Jesus. We're going through the book of Matthew, one verse at a time. We started about a year ago for chapter 13, middle of it, uh, verse 24. Now, Jesus is at this point in the Gospels telling lots of parables, these little stories that he would share with people that contained spiritual truth. Now, most of the time, people had no idea what he's talking about, <clears throat> and he did that intentionally. Uh, for what we talked about that last week, but uh, so there's some of these parables. The people who were really pure of heart, his disciples, those were the ones that he opened up and really explained to them <clears throat> what he was talking about. So anyway, so here's the next parable. He says, "The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while he was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away." When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The servants, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Now, this is a classic question. Now, in a minute, Jesus is going to explain this parable. For some reason, in the, in the way this goes, he tells a couple other parables first, and then he comes back and explains this one. But the analogy is fairly clear to us today. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And that in the kingdom of heaven, there's wheat and there's weeds, and they grow together. And of course, in the story, they're asking, well, where do these weeds come from? Now, this is a challenge that affects people of faith very often, <laughs> as people who take this very seriously oftentimes are frustrated, surrounded by others who don't take this very seriously at all. Uh, it is what it is. Um, it's not a shocker. Jesus told us it would be this way. He's going to give another parable. that's uh, going to explain it again from a different viewpoint that amongst the real deal there will be phony people who are not really part of what's going on these are the weeds they are life suckers they suck the life like a weed does they're always gimme 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 they give nothing they take everything they can Uh, they come only with an attitude of being served and have no intention of serving anybody Uh, and amazingly every church in the world has those people in it. Uh, Nothing to get discouraged about. At times it can be frustrating, uh, but it is what it is. This is all the question always, where do these weeds come from? And Jesus says in the parable, verse 28, he says, well, an enemy did this. And the servants asked him, and this is always the big question, do you want us to go and pull them up? And Jesus says, no, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat that is with them. That is always the challenge. Now, one of the things even as a pastor, spiritual leaders in churches are commanded in the scriptures that at times we need to smack people upside the head. You know, stop it, stop it, little little spankings. Stop doing that, okay? But even when we do that, we have to be careful that we don't hit too hard because you can discourage the wheat when you're going after some of the weeds. You know, the max we can do is make sure you're not being a weed, Okay, uh, we just had that some weeks ago, and I was sharing in my great frustration uh, from our annual campaign that so many people did nothing, and uh, since then more and more people are acting and they're doing, which is good, so that little was good. But you, you know, sometimes people say, well, Pastor, you just need to get harder on this. No, you can't do that, because then you'll start, you run the risk of breaking up the wheat with it. And I promise you, I mean, that's the way it is, because they're good-hearted people. When I was spanking the congregation for not being as involved as they should be, you know who felt the worst about it? The people who did do something. You know what I'm saying? So that's why you got to be careful. They're the ones that they, now they're frustrated and they feel bad. Maybe I should have done more. No, 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 no. 
So that's why you always got to be careful. Again, we are called to reprove and rebuke and every once in a while. But beyond that, you know, you can't just go harder after people. Sometimes people egg me on. Yeah, I just need to go harder past. No, you can't. Because you'll wind up wounding tender-hearted people who don't need to be wounded at all. They're not the problem. It's the others. Okay? So he said, uh, verse 30, let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat to bring it into my barn. Again, in a second, he's going to uh, elaborate on this. Uh, but now he goes into a couple other parables. Now, these are short, short really little mini parables where he talks about how things in life start small. Everything in life started small. You started very small. Everybody, everything starts small. And he was using the analogy of the kingdom of God is going to start small. You have to remember when he's talking about this, there are no mega churches. There are no millions of people who are committed Christians. There's no television ministries, online ministries, winning people in the Netherlands to Jesus. There's nothing. He's starting and it's just this small group of people. And he's encouraging them, letting them know, look, this is how things start. The kingdom of heaven starts small, but it's going to grow very, very large, which in fact it has. But this is a great lesson for people even today, particularly uh, when it comes to your young people. You need to get them to get a clue. And you young people, get a clue. All right? Life starts small. Now here's the problem. And I don't remember this being so bad when we were growing up, but that was back when the dinosaurs still roamed the earth. But today, over the last 15, 20, I'm stunned at how many young people, they graduate from their parents' house, their parents who have a nice house, nice cars, nice TVs, nice all this stuff, and then they want it all too, right away. And they don't realize, hey, it took them 30 years to get there. But they want it right now. And they're all crazy about trying to get all this stuff. It doesn't work that way. This is the way it works. You graduate from a really nice house, and then you live with Jack Squat. That is life. Shut up. Get alive. And don't be going into debt and all this other nonsense. Try to get all this stuff right away. Credit cards and everything. Stop it. This is how life is done. You start with nothing. And you build a life. And you parents, don't be so narcissistic with these kids. And trying to give them everything in the world and stuff like that. They should start small and build a life. And quit insisting that everything in life is about money first. Now, you don't have to go to this church very long before you learn that I am a big advocate for young marriage. Not that you have to get married young. Some people don't wait until for a variety of reasons to marry much later in life. Some never get married, which is fine. They have a lot less headaches than some others. But... Uh, <laughs> Amen. All right, yeah. So don't say amen too loud. Your spouse is next to you. Anyway, uh, but you know, if you fall in love with somebody, get married, get a life, start doing life right. And you parents, you're the worst at this because we have created a group of parents today that tell their young people at all costs, wait, 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 before you get married. Do you get all this stuff, all this nonsense, all this career? And first of all, it's patently absurd. To tell a 22-year-old, well, just wait for three years and then you'll have your career. What are you going to have in three years? Almost nothing like you had three years earlier. 
It takes a long time. Have you noticed it takes a long time? Man, it took me 30 years before I started even getting a clue. If I don't listen to you people, I'd just be getting married about a year ago. Stop it. And the problem is, is these kids then go out and they sin sexually and they become porn addicts and they in and out of the sack with a dozen different people. They've practiced for 10 years how to break it off with people. Then they get married and then our divorce rates are skyrocketing through the ceiling. Because you have so, you've allowed them to get so corrupted and so damaged, waiting, 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 waiting for all this money and stuff to come first. It is a disaster. There is a reason we have the mess we have today. Stop it. They don't need all that junk. They're not going to get it for a long time anyway. Again, the premise in and of itself is absurd. It takes a long time to build a career and everything else. And besides, you're saying the worst thing. What you're teaching them is before they can get married, everything has to be perfect. So what have you taught them? In order for marriage to exist, everything must be perfect. And of course, they finally get married because everything's perfect. And then, guess what? It's not perfect anymore. Anybody have a job and then suddenly you didn't have a job? Anybody have money and suddenly, hoochie mama, it's all gone? Ever been there? What happens? Then their marriages are falling apart. The divorce rate skyrocket because you taught them they have to have all this junk first. You don't need all that junk first. You do life together and you build a life together. When me and the redhead got married, we had jack squat. We had nothing. We were broke. We had to look up to see how the poor people lived. That was our goal. Don't worry, baby. Someday we'll be poor too. Hang in there. We'll get up there. You know. You don't need all that stuff. What do you do? You build a life together. But we did it righteously. We were not doing porn. We are out there dating 30 different people and all this other kind of nonsense. That's why we're still married today. Don't have nearly the baggage. Some of you still struggling with today. Stop it. Get these people to do life. There's nothing wrong with starting small. You can't get big until you start small. And the Bible says two are better than one. And you can build a life together. Somebody say amen. All right. And you young people. There's a ton of you guys. You live together. You're living in sin. You're doing all the wrong stuff. And you say, well, we can't get married because we can't afford it. Because you're expecting a $10,000 wedding dress, $50,000 reception, $40,000 honeymoon. Seriously, stop all that stupidity. Buying a rock. Some of y'all buying rocks. Every time I do a wedding, I go, good Lord, look at the rock. And y'all borrowing money to get it. I've been married 40 years. My wife still don't have a rock. She's thrown a few rocks at me, but I... (laughs) A stupid rock. Her ring and mine both together were under $100 when we got married. And it still works. Stop all that small fortune nonsense. Oh, I can't afford to get married. Sure you can. Knock it off. Oh, I need a few ham sandwiches. And... <laughs> Who cares you got all that junk? And you nimrods. Man, here's $10,000 for a stupid rock. You know how many babysitters that would pay for. Do you know how many diapers that would buy? Do you know how many nights off where you could get 10 minutes to yourself without talking to a toddler so you could have a human conversation? 
But you can't do that because you got a stupid rock. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. This stuff makes me crazy. People are crazy. I got to start big. Ugh. So he tells them a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which if you've ever seen one, it's really tiny, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He tells them again, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour and, and it, until it worked all through the dough. It takes very little yeast to affect all the dough. Small. Start small. Build something. You'll appreciate it a lot more. Anyway, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So it was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, which Matthew was constantly showing what Jesus did and what the prophecies of the Old Testament said the Messiah would do. And he quotes from the Old Testament, I will open my mouth in parables. That's what was prophesied the Messiah would do. That's what Jesus was doing. And I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then now he backs up and explains the weeds thing, which I already explained anyway, but let's read what he said. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He said, Well, the one who sowed good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom of God. The weeds are the people of, of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels. They will weed out all... Of his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oftentimes people get today and they debate, you know, what is hell? What is hell? Is hell really fire? Is hell? And I don't know. Who cares? I don't care if it's being locked in a room and have to watch C-SPAN for eternity. I don't want to do it. Hell is bad. Stay away from hell. You know, how bad is hell? What, were you thinking of going? <laughs> oh, oh, how, how bad could it be? You know, it can't be that bad. You know, just... But then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom. Hallelujah, their father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Then he gives us a couple of more parables. And he says, now talking about uh, what it, uh, the value of the kingdom of heaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Why? Because he knew what he was buying, the value. He hid the treasure. No one knew it was there. That whatever, he had to sell everything to get the money to buy that field, but now he's going to make out like a bandit. Okay? The analogy here is, is that the kingdom of heaven is of such value, it's worth everything you have. Okay, and oftentimes when it comes, you know, just like giving offerings, you know, there are people who do it joyfully because they get this. And then other people, it's like great pain. Every time the offering goes by, it's like they're giving birth. (laughs) They're doing Lamaze lessons while they're, you know, throwing their 20 bucks or two bucks or whatever the deal is in. Just relax, for heaven's sakes. The reality is when you do this right, you are way ahead better than if you don't do it in the first place. The people who give financially have learned the secret that if you give, it will be given to you. Jesus said, if you will give, it will be given to you. Over and over again, if you will give, it will be given to you. The people who do that here do it joyfully, they get it. I was just talking to a guy, yeah. 
<clears throat> I was just talking to a guy last week. We were out there flying model airplanes around. He goes to church here and he says, you know, I, I started doing that tithing thing. That's when you give 10%. That's the biblical standard, the gold standard, if you will. He says, I started doing, he says, and when I started, I didn't have any money. And I, 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 I thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and start doing it anyway. He says, I got to tell you, now a year, two years later, he says, I have more money I've ever had in my life. He says, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. How can you possibly give and end up with more? But that's exactly what happens. That's why the people who give joyfully do it joyfully because they know how this works. They do it and somehow life works for them because God is blessing their life. You say, I don't believe that. That's why your life sucks. (laughs) And there you have it. And he says it again in another parable. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found the one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And by the way, the first one, it says, he, in his joy, he sold everything he had. In his joy. He did it joyfully. Why? Because he knew, woohoo, I'm going to be so, here's the guy who's getting rid of everything, liquidating everything. Someone else, you think this would be a time of misery. It was great joy because he knew what he was getting in return. All right, then he gives another parable. Boom, 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 one after another. It's a big parable section of the Bible here. Um, now, this one is kind of another version of the, the weed and the wheat. You know, that you get weeds with the good. Once again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it on shore. And then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. Sometimes are just bad fish some people they smell like bad fish that is just their whole life just kind of reeks you know because they're just so nasty and mean and they never get it they come they get near the good fish but they never let that transformation take place in their hearts very sad and he says this is how it will be at the end of the age the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace again with the furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked them, and they said, yes. Then he said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like an owner of his house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When you have this stuff inside you, you want to bring it out and share with others. Then it says that now when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. So he comes back to his town. He started his ministry. He's out, but he hasn't been back. He comes back home. He begins teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and all these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And the Bible says they took offense at him. They were insulted. They just wouldn't listen to what Jesus said because they knew him. They knew him. Remember, Jesus was 30 years old before he started his ministry. Almost all his life, he'd been around these people. They knew his family. They knew all by name. Rattle them off just there. Dig, 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 dig. And this is Jesus. He's a carpenter. What, 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 what is he doing? He's, he's teaching and preaching. And, and, ah! and Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and his own home. In other words, a prophet does have honor except when he gets around familiar people. Uh, but this is not only true spiritually. This is true just of life in general. And you usually experience it at Christmas time. Some of you guys, it's like, it doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter if you have your doctorate. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of the company. It doesn't matter if you've done really well, have a nice family, nice house and all that stuff. When you get around your brothers and sisters, you're still the idiot they used to beat up when you were 12. <laughs> right? 
You know what I'm talking about? It's, just, it's that familiarity that breeds contempt. So, you know, I, I don't feel very respected around my family. By the way, people are always looking for a reason not to visit their in-laws. Stop. Just be nice. Well, they're not nice to me. Oh, shut up. Just, it's one day a year. Come on, just go and be nice. Well, I don't like it when they do it. I don't like it. Just stop. Be nice. Well, they don't treat me with respect. It's because you're still Johnny to them. All right? Man up. Just go. Be nice. Show some respect. I get all these lists. Well, pa- Pastor, do I have to be around my in-laws? Because my, my dad cusses like a truck driver. And this is a, and my, my sister smokes. And I don't want to ex- expose my kids to secondhand smoke. Oh, shut up. For heaven, your kids are not going to get cancer because of a day around secondhand smoke. Good Lord. When my mother was carrying me and people my age, all they did was smoke and drink whiskey. Maybe that's our problem. <laughs> that's, that's why we're so strange today. Yeah. Now, I'm not advocating whiskey and smoking. I'm just, just, just relax. Just always looking for a reason to be mean. And some of you do it from a self-righteous point. Well, I'm too much of a Christian. Just be nice. All right. And then it says, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Why aren't there more miracles? Lack of faith, that's why. Okay, we'll wrap up with this, okay? Now, let's finish chapter 13. We go into chapter 14. And it says, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports. Herod was the ruler around there. Uh, heard reports about Jesus. When he heard about Jesus, and I don't know why he hears about it now. He hadn't heard, but uh, when he hears about Jesus, he said to his attendants, Oh no, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That's why the miraculous powers are at work with him. He was very superstitious. He was all freaked out and spooked out because he had killed John. Now, we don't know how or why he killed John. We're about to tell us. So Matthew tells us this premise. He hears about Jesus. He freaks out. Oh, it must be John the Baptist back from the dead. And then he does one of these flashbacks like they do in movies. And he tells us why he reacted that way because of what he did. Let's read what Herod did. Now, Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Now, who is Herodias? Herodias was Philip. He's got a brother named Philip. Philip marries this Hochimama chick named Herodias. And she's quite the looker. And she's... And somehow he gets it on with her. Herod does. So he winds up with his brother's wife. This is called adultery. All right? Now, she was mad at John and insisted that Herod arrest John. Why? And then he tells us, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Now, here's one of the things I've noticed. People don't mind general statements of right and wrong. They really don't. You can say, you should not commit adultery. And almost everybody here would go, well, yes, you should not commit. Even people who are committing adultery would go, yes, you should not commit adultery. I mean, people don't have a problem with that. What takes him off is when you say, you're committing adultery. Oh, now they get mad. All right? Because everybody justifies their own sin. Well, it's not really adultery to us. Because we love each other. We love each other. All right? And I told you last month, I don't care how much you love somebody. It never is greater than God's righteousness. And that's the whole, you just described the United States of America right there. People live in all kinds of sexual sin. They know it's wrong, but it's not wrong to them because, well, we are in love. Look, I don't care if you, and you might truly love, I mean, love each other like no human being on the face of the earth has ever. You might make look, uh, Romeo and Juliet look like amateurs. You might be in the great, and it's still wrong. 
Are you hearing me? It's still wrong. Human love never is greater than God's righteousness. All right? So anyway, he comes along and says, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And oh, did Herodias get mad? Oh, he's making me look like a hoe. <laughs> she was a hoe. Doing all that. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> that wasn't Merry Christmas. That was three hookers on a corner. Ho, ho, and ho. <laughs> that ho over there. <laughs> My wife hates it when I say that. I think it's funny. Anyway. He makes me look like a hole. And everyone said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate this guy. He said, well, we're wrong. But we love each other. <laughs> so Herod arrests John, throws him in prison. All right? And uh, he wanted to kill him because Herodias was really ticked. But he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. And he was afraid of John. Remember, it starts out saying that when he hears about Jesus, he thinks it's John raised from the dead because he's got all this guilt and he's very superstitious and stuff. He, he thought this was literally raised from the dead because John was something special. He knew it and he was afraid. So he just had him in prison. Well, on Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod. Okay, now I'm assuming this is not a ballet. I think it's more of a pole dance. Are you hearing me? Seriously, 2,000 years ago, all these guys are hopped up because the girl comes out, shaking her money, maker around, and woo, look at that. So not only is this pig of a man committing adultery with his brother's wife, now he's lusting after his niece. He is a pig of a man. Anyway, she comes out, and she's shaking her money, maker, and everybody goes, woo, woo, look at her. And he gets up, and says, that was amazing, that was amazing. I'll give you anything you want. Anything. And he's because he's so wealthy and so powerful. And he swears in front of all his guests. I, I swear, I'll give you anything you want. All right? So, he was pleased so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Then prompted by her mother. So she goes to mom and says, what should I get? And mom says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So, she goes back and she says, give me here on a platter... A platter. The head of John the Baptist. You want fries with that? And, and the king was distressed. But because he had made this big oath and all this boasting in front of his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John, the, John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought in on a platter. Ugh, and given to the girl who brings it to her mom. At least mom and daughter were bonding. Sick people. John the Baptist's disciples came and took his body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. And then when we come back, we'll learn what Jesus did in response to that. Okay, so a lot of different things in today's message as we're going through the Gospels here. Uh, first of all, um, don't get discouraged that in any church, I don't care how great the church, you can be the most spiritual church in the world, uh, you're always going to have weeds growing right along with everybody you're going to have smelly fish right along with good ones it is what it is okay and we need to be careful not to try and pull them out so harsh that we would hurt other people secondly everything starts small do not the bible says do not despise the day of small beginnings start small build a life whatever you're doing don't get discouraged because it doesn't happen right away be patient okay um and uh what was the other one? Oh, the kingdom of heaven is of great value. You don't lose out 
by giving to get more in the kingdom of God. And finally, when you do tell people the truth, be careful. (laughs) Now the good news is they probably won't cut your head off, but they might try and bite it off. Okay? When you tell somebody what they're doing is wrong, you're likely to get a very nasty response. Uh, It is what it is. You want to be careful. Never do it judgmentally. Never do it arrogantly like you're so spiritual and holy. But sometimes you do need to point out to people what they are doing is wrong. They don't think it's wrong, but they're stealing. Hey, you're, you're stealing. Well, that's not stealing. I mean, you know, everybody's got their justifications. Um, just be careful when you do it. Be as loving and as kind as you can do it, but don't be surprised when they want to cut your head off. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us to grow. Help us to be patient uh, in our faith, to grow the kingdom of God, to grow our lives, all the different things. Help us to get our priorities right. Help us to realize that whatever we do to advance the kingdom of God is never a loss, but is always a gain. To respect and honor you in all that we do, Father. And and to be careful when sharing with people. At times we do need to confront people in our lives about what they're doing as wrong. And help us to do it as lovingly and as kind, as gently, gently as we can. But not to be shocked when people react very badly, because that seems to be pretty normal reactions. Help us to walk in your love. And to be your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Amen.